In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure, cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society will be hosting a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps inside or outside on stairs on the road or on your treadmill climb your way join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart pumping playlist join us on june 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb conquer cure register at lls.org slash big climb Let's have a ball at Faneuil Hall, we love the Old Town Team. Take the green line to the sicko sign, we love the Old Town Team. Now we're here, we all will cheer, we love the Old Town Team. Our chowders mean we like our beans, but we love the Old Town Team. Welcome into another edition of the Old Town Podcast. It's our Red Sox pod here at The Athletic. I'm Tim McMaster. He's Lars Anderson. Daniel Bard is going to join the show this week. That's going to be exciting. He's back pitching with the Colorado Rockies, hoping that baseball gets going again so he can get back out on a big league mound. That's after he retired. He is unretired. It's really a great story. So uh, we'll hear from Daniel Bard. Um, Subscribe, rate, and review us. If you're not listening on The Athletic and you want a subscription, go to The Athletic com slash green monster you can save 40 percent off a one-year subscription and if you are listening on the app we have a new comment section so let us know what you think of the show lars coming off memorial day weekend i think you were camping again how'd it go well i was certainly a point of interest for ticks mosquitoes and ultraviolet <laughs> rays but it was uh, still a better weekend than the oakland a's minor league players unfortunately but in all in all seriousness it was wonderful um Nice to get away. Let's talk about that. You mentioned the minor leaguers and a new proposal about the major leagues as well uh, came out last night. We're recording this on Wednesday. Um, let's start with the big leagues. Um, the M- Major League Baseball owners' proposal to the players, pretty much a non-starter, I think, from the players' perspective. But basically, um, it's it's more pay cuts, which we knew were going to come. And, and we knew it couldn't be the straight revenue sharing. So the new plan is kind of a sliding scale um, which I just look at and know out of hand that the players wouldn't accept it. But it's step one, I guess, towards negotiating. But just to kind of sum it up, for the upper echelon players, your $35 million per year type players, they would make about $7.8 million. So that's a small percentage, obviously, of, of what they're scheduled to make. But then when you get down to the lesser paid players, um, players making the league minimum, which is around 600000 now, would almost make half of that. So somewhere in the 200000 range. So um, there's a lot of different ways to look at it. It's not going to fly, that's for sure. Um, there's been tweets around Major League Baseball. But Lars, as a former player, what was your take on this latest proposal? It seems to be, and, and kind of Brett Anderson alluded to this, it seems to be a, a ploy to drive a wedge into the union. He said it's an interesting strategy to make the most marketable players look like the bad guys. And the guys who are making league minimum aren't taking that big of a pay cut, but a guy like um, Garrett Cole or Mike Trout, you know, they're ostensibly playing for just a little bit over 20% of their salary. And they're assuming this risk and it's a shortened season. And... There's very little incentive for them to say yes 
relative to the guys who are not getting punished, who are making the league minimum. So there's more incentive for them to say yes. So it's kind of like, it kind of pits the two parties against each other within the union. And, you know, it's interesting. Usually when these CBA uh, agreements are happening, it's, it's during the off season and players aren't really paying attention. And this is happening during the season. And obviously the spotlight is on it and players are paying attention. And you can kind of see their frustration, um, kind of boil over onto social media about this offer. It kind of feels like the low ball offers we've been seeing recently in free agent negotiations, where it's like the owners just throw an offer out there. That's just totally ridiculous to start the negotiating process. It's not really, it doesn't really seem to be like negotiating in good faith, where it's just this first offer is so ridiculous that um, there's nothing that they can do other than come back with their own, stringent counter offer you know it's not it's not really trying to meet in the middle anywhere and the problem here is like that's a fine way of negotiating when you have a long runway to negotiate on but we're up against it here i mean if this isn't figured out right. in the next week or 10 days then this isn't going to happen if you're going to have players in camps by mid-june to play games in early july this has to happen now and to start this far apart feels like it's it's certainly going to be tricky the players are expected to counter within the next couple of days and and that'll be a maybe bigger than this to see where the players kind of come in with their first official offer because it feels like we've been talking about this for for a while already but this is the first actual proposal from the owners it took so long just to get to here and there's so much going on in the media and on twitter and it's just it's ugly, and you look at the NHL, and there's still stuff to figure out there, but they're talking about coming back. Um, the NBA has talked about a lot of things regarding health, but nothing about money, really. And all the leagues that are that are getting back to playing, and it's always been about safety and how are we going to do that, this, and how are we going to make it make sense. And then suddenly with baseball, it's sure safety something, but it's more about the money, it feels like. And, and it seems like this is always the way. Lars, why is it always this much just vitriol between owners and players in baseball more than any other sport? Um, I think the, the relationship and the prominence of the union in baseball um, plays a big factor into that. Whereas like the union is not as strong in other sports and they're also salary cap sports. Yeah. The salary cap's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. It changes the dynamic and, this feels like the owners and we kind of got to this with Daniel Bard, but the, uh, full disclosure, we interviewed Daniel Bard first. Here. Oh, like look behind you, the curtain. If you, if you didn't know. <laughs> but it's, it kind of feels like they're, the owners and the players are using this as a time to kind of fire warning shots about the impending collective bargaining agreement you know, coming up, I think, in 2022 or 2021. Yep, uh, after next season. Yeah, the after the 2021 season. So it seems like people are kind of trying to gain some leverage for that. And I just, it doesn't feel like the time to do that, yeah. you know, given what's going on, you know, it's, it, it, it does not feel appropriate. It, it feels um, wrong to be leveraging something like that right now when it's really important for uh, us to come together as a country and have something to look forward to, which could ostensibly be baseball if we can do it in a safe, uh, responsible manner. I guess getting back to it, I, I really don't think this is the right time to get into like a really nasty labor dispute given what's happening in this country. My view might be a little bit biased because I'm a former player, but I, I, I believe that the players really do want to play. And I think that they have made concessions and they kind of, 
in that March 26th deal and they've kind of extended an olive branch. And I, I my belief is that while they do share a, a lot of the responsibility, it's really up to the owners to kind of um, keep that in mind and also negotiate in good faith. Yeah, and I tend to lean towards the millionaires over the billionaires whenever these sort of things come up. And I'll admit that off the top, but it's just... You'd love to see the books, right? And I know the Players Association has said that, you know, show us the books that you're going to lose this much money. It's never going to happen. Um, but I don't know the business side of it. I don't think any of us really do know what the the owners are facing here. But it, I just tend to naturally kind of go the other way in these arguments and, and who's really giving up the most here because the players are giving up a big chunk of millions, whereas these owners are in charge of franchises that are worth billions of dollars. But anyway, we go on and on about that. I do want to touch on the minor league thing that you mentioned off the top um, before we get to Daniel Bard, and that is that it's getting to be tough times. It's been tough times for these minor leaguers. They've been being paid $400 per week here by the organizations. Um, And then the A's came out yesterday and officially let minor leaguers, their minor leaguers, know that come after May 31st, that's going away and they're not going to give them any more money. And on top of that, by the way, you're also not allowed to go anywhere else and play. Um, So we're not going to pay you anymore, but you also can't play for anyone else. You can't try to go overseas and and find work or anything like that. It's just, I mean, we've we've done it on this podcast. We had basically an entire show about these issues, Lars, um, on this podcast, but it doesn't get any easier for these minor leaguers to tell them that, hey, we're not going to give you any money anymore and you can't go play anywhere else. It reminds me of uh, watching that Ken Burns baseball documentary when he talked about the reserve clause. Bef- before they, the, they fought that, you know, a team could control a player. The team that drafted you could control a player for forever, essentially. And... Um, they were able to implement free agencies so that the player had a little bit of more freedom. But this is kind of that, you know, it's like, we're not going to pay you, but you can't go elsewhere to another team to get paid. Uh, Jeff Passon took to Twitter yesterday and he kind of said just some rough math, you know, for each minor league system, there's about 200 players and paying each player $400 a week uh, for the next three months, which would be the remainder of the minor league season is, uh, you know, $5,200 per player. And paying every minor league player would cost the A's $1 million. And he finished that by saying the owner of the A's, who's John Fisher, is worth $2 billion. So um, I think it's, that's very telling, you know, um, that, and, and again, you know, kind of talking about the short-sightedness of owners, what sort of message does that send to people who might want to play professional baseball? Is that a is that something that makes you want to say, oh, this is what I want to pursue for my my career, my life? Um, I think for the health of the game, there needs to be a different message sent, um, which is, you know, we care about our players. We are going to compensate you fairly and take care of you when things are difficult. And I don't think continuing to pay each player four hundred dollars a week is uh, asking that much, <laughs> you know. For an elite athlete, that's that's really not asking for very much. You think back to your playing days, all the guys in the clubhouse, all the guys on the bus. You know, it's important to smell good, right? 
I think so. Yeah. Well, Hawthorne thinks so too. And they're trying to kind of help things out and they have a great product going on right now and a great opportunity to work on these things. And one way to do it is to go to Hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E at the end, .co, not com. They have a test on there, a quiz. It takes about two minutes to do. I actually went through it. Um, easy questions about your lifestyle, about where you work, about how you wash your hair, all little things. Um, they put together, they analyze the questions, and within minutes, they give you an email that breaks down the products that they recommend for you. It's a great system, and you can save on, on the deal as well. Um, just a chance to kind of revisit some of the important things in life that some of us as men, I think, overlook. What do you think? Online smell better situations, I'm all for it, especially after this camping trip. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's Father's Day as well, and you don't have to just do the quiz for yourself. You can actually take the quiz for somebody else. So if it's time to get dad a gift, think about that. Go on, answer the questions on his behalf and, and uh, get the products for him. It's a great Father's Day gift as well. So check out Hawthorne at Hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E at .co, not .com. Hawthorne.co and use the promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. That's Hawthorne.co and use the promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne.co. We are excited to be joined now by Daniel Bard, former Red Sox pitcher, currently with the Colorado Rockies after a brief retirement in the middle there. It's really a great story, him getting back to pitching. We're going to dive into all of that stuff and also former teammates with Lars along the way. So, Daniel, first of all, thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, man. Glad to do it. Glad to be, uh, be a part and, like I said, have something to do on a, on a rainy day. We have so many things we want to get to you about, but first off, just talk about what you're doing right now as far as staying safe and, and where you're at as, pre as pause has been pressed on, obviously, this baseball season. Yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm at home in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, my wife and my kids, we've been here about two years, um, and it's been, it's been uh, some long days with the three kids, but also pretty cool to get that extra time with them. Yeah, so it's been good. I've been able to work out um, over at the Greenville Drive Stadium where, where Lars and I were teammates about a little over a decade ago. And uh, it's been good to be able to throw some bullpens, face some hitters, and you know, kind of just work out in small groups and get it done that way. So I've been pretty fortunate. Yeah, I remember those days pretty well. It was, um, it was really nice being around Daniel because he was, a, he was kind of a good role model for me about how to be professional. Um, he was a call. We were the same draft, so he was a college pick, and I was so I was three years younger than him, roughly. And he was a first round pick. He had every reason in the world to be a certain way that he wasn't. He was very humble and um, like a wonderful teammate. And so that was a good. I was also kind of a. I wasn't a high pick, but I got kind of that sort of money where I could have gone a few different ways, and I needed good role models. So Daniel was was that for me and. I actually thought about him recently because you know fast forward a few years um we were in portland together and i walk into the into the bathroom one day and daniel's cutting his hair in the mirror his own hair and i'm like what the hell are you doing and he's like oh, i cut my own hair i like i do it better than the barbers do and i, I like it and i was like well I, I always was going to the hair hair salon and just getting butchered and i was like can you teach me so he taught me and i ended up cut, cutting my own hair for like the next eight years and I haven't done it for a while, but since COVID hit, I found myself in the bathroom cutting my own hair. And this is before we had um, thought of bringing Daniel on the show. 
I was like, oh shit, I remember when I was cutting my own hair and Daniel taught me. So I had thought of Bard and it's very serendipitous that we're talking to you now about. It's a valuable skill, man. It really is, yeah, especially in these times. So And, and every team needs a guy that can cut hair too, right? I, mean, I feel like every team has that guy, especially in the minor leagues, that, that can just kind of, if and if needed, be called upon to cut some hair. For sure, but usually it's, you know, with like the buzzer thing and he was yeah. doing it with scissors in his hands. So that was like oh. a little different game and that's a... Uh, that's what he he put me on, and I I also appreciated the funny looks I got for the rest of or for those like eight years of me cutting my own hair, and it sort of became a novelty. So, so Daniel, um, before we get to the other stuff, it's kind of the elephant in the room. But the proposal from from the owners came over last night, and there's plenty of players who have kind of chimed in on Twitter with their thoughts and mostly negative thoughts towards it. Obviously, this is all part of negotiating and kind of trying to find the answer but um you know having seen what came across tuesday night are you optimistic that there's going to be baseball here in 2020 um it it's gonna take a lot of work um i don't think we're as close as we'd like to be um i was hoping that the proposal would be a little closer to the things that we had voiced you know so we'll see what happens i'm hopeful that we play but uh i really want to get something in but, you know, not at the expense of, of hurting, you know, the, the players across the league. How much of that is, um, you know, the CBA is up in another year? I feel like because of what's gone down, it's almost like we fast forwarded right to, to a year. And some some of the the stances that are being taken feel like they're more pointed towards that than just getting on the field right now. Yeah, I, mean, I think there's a general feel uh, from the on the player side that, you know, the, the league and the owners have tried to push some things through that they were probably going to fight for in, in the next CBA, and they're trying to use this break to kind of push some things through. That's the vibe I've gotten. Um, it's really unfortunate. Uh, it's not what I would have expected. I think you know, players were, are willing to work with them and willing to make some concessions that I think we already have. Um, but I I just think that we've shown, we showed, showed willingness to work with them from the outset, and then they came back and made a proposal that, you know, I think they frankly knew was a non-starter for us. So, um, you know, I really hope it gets worked out. I hope the leadership takes over on both sides and, and is able to get something done. So speaking of leadership, you were a, a player rep uh, representing the Red Sox uh, for the union when I was there. And I'm curious as to how much, if any, the relationship between the players and the, and the or the union and the owners has changed in that time. And, if so, how, what, what is your um, insight on that? Yeah. I haven't been like super close to it the last seven or eight years since I, I want to say stepped down as player rep. I got <laughs> sent to triple A. I think that kind of <laughs> takes the role away from me. But uh, yeah, I, you know, from what I've gathered and since I've been back in the game the last year or this past few months, um, it seems to the relationship's not, not what it needs to be. Um, so I, I'm hoping that, maybe we can come together and, and have an agreement here where we get this 2020 season in. Maybe that helps us move toward a better relationship going into this next CBA. Uh, that's my hope. Um, but uh, a lot of steps need to be taken between now and then. 
All right. Yeah, we certainly I think everybody hopes that that an agreement can be reached and that usually it comes down to the deadline on these things, which feels like in this circumstance is coming pretty quick, maybe early or, or mid next week. Somebody's got to figure out something if, if we're going to get back to to playing. And and that brings us to you playing because you're back with the Rockies this spring um, out of retirement. We can kind of go through the journey a little bit, but just being back on the field, playing baseball, pitching off a mound in a major league camp. Um, what was it like for you this spring? Uh, fun does not even do do it justice. Like I hated baseball for a while there for about five years trying to come back. And, you know, I knew I wanted it. I wanted that feeling back of what it felt like to play the game with freedom, be able to have fun, be able to compete against the opponents and not yourself. Um, that was something I just lost for, for a long time. And, um, you know, once I started to get that feeling back, it was like all the fun came back, all the, the, the passion and the love for the game that, you know, we all had as kids started to come back. And I had lost it for a while, I think. Maybe starting with just playing in kind of a high-pressure environment in Boston, you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself to perform night in and night out. And when that doesn't go well and then your career collapses and you're fighting just to hang on to it, like, there's not a lot of fun to be had there. You know, I did my best every day to show up and enjoy the moment, enjoy the little moments, whether that was with your teammates or the little successes that I would have on the field. But it became harder and harder um, to find those moments. And when I, I realized that there was a point where I was like, this isn't worth um, being away from my family. It took five or six years of going through it to, to get to that point. And it was because I, you know, I saw the light at the end of the tunnel many times where I thought I was getting close. And um, looking back on it now, I was never even remotely close to the way I've, I've felt in 2020. So that's pretty cool. I can't say exactly what, what the difference is, but I can name about 30 things that have probably contributed to it uh, over the past two years. And um, yeah, I don't even remember the question you asked, but that's where we're at. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I'm glad that you talked about that because in 2013, I had the worst season of my career. I hit about 190 in AAA with the, the Charlotte Knights of the White Sox organization. And I got released during the All-Star break. And I went home and it was kind of like, you know, I, I, nobody was calling. And I, I spent all offseason kind of like, this might be it. And the Cubs finally called me at the end of January, you know, our, our old crew of, of Theo and um, Jason McLeod. Jason McLeod actually yeah. called me. He was our scouting director that drafted Daniel and I, and he was um, working for the Cubs in their front office. And he's like, hey, you want to, we might have a spot for you in AAA. You want to come to spring training and get a shot? So I remember I went there with this kind of like, um, I, it felt like I was playing with the house's money almost, where I was just happy again to hear the sound of people playing catch I was thankful to be taking ground balls on a nice field. All these things that I had kind of started to uh, miss in, in like the never-ending search of trying to make it and stay in the big leagues. You, you get so obsessed with that that you lose perspective about why you enjoyed baseball in the first place. And all these little things, being on a team, the joy of hitting batting practice for me or... I don't know what that is for a pitcher, maybe locating a fastball well or something like that, that feeling in, in the bullpen. But kind of talking, talking, talk to us about how you got there. Because after, after you're done playing, you got into mental skills work with the Diamondbacks, I believe, initially, right? And yeah, that's right. Talk, 
Talk us through how that kind of led to you getting back into playing. Yeah, I retired in, at the end of 17 after trying to become, uh, at that point, my last, I was a sidearm. I was still in sidearm with the Cardinals. Got released out of double A and signed with the Mets, who wanted to go all the way down and make me a submariner. Why they wanted that, I don't know. But I guess they were like, you're athletic enough. We think you can do it if you like it. So I gave that like a two-month shot. It was really hard, and I was running into the same issues, the same command control issues, even from down there after a while. So I realized, like, this just isn't going to happen. And it's, you know, even if it is, it's, I'm, I felt like I was years away from, from, uh, from finding it. And I, I honestly, looking back, I think the harder I tried, the more I wanted it, the further I was from finding it. And I think the only thing that is the reason I was able to get signed this year and pitch well enough to do that was I had given it up once it had been taken away from me essentially like I walked away from the game with no intention of returning ready to move on to something else ready to focus more on my family um, and I did those things and I walked away with completely satisfied had no re no regrets uh, it was definitely the right thing uh, in, in 2017 for me and honestly like I said I was pretty frustrated by the game um because of my my recent history with it and uh but i also said you know look i spent the last five years trying to figure out what was going on in my head and with my body didn't have anything to show for it as far as getting back to the big leagues but i did learn a lot like i was reading books constantly trying to figure out that mind body connection and what what was going wrong inside me so i'd learned a lot about it and found some things that that did did help me a lot they just didn't get me back to the big leagues so I didn't want all that time and knowledge that I'd acquired to just go to waste um, and go on to some job that had nothing to do with baseball right away. So I mean, I just, when I made the decision to retire, I called around a few months later, I called around, uh, you know, Charrington, Theo, Hazen. I called all those guys and a couple of the other teams I had played for along the way where I developed relationships and just, you know, called and said, Hey, you know, I'm not playing anymore. And, you know, not sure what role I, I want to get into, but if you guys have anything in mind or any availability where you think I might be a fit, just let me know. And a couple different opportunities came, came out of it. One was, one was with the Diamondbacks through Hazen um, and kind of a newly created mental skills position, a player mentor was what they called it. So did that for two years, learned a ton more. You know, I feel like I was able to help, help some players along the way and develop some great relationships with players and staff over there with the Diamondbacks and um, learned a ton, like I said. And, and it wasn't until probably midway through the second year doing that job. I'm out on the field during batting practice playing catch with, with guys. Kind of just, you know, that was my way of getting to know guys was playing catch with them. And, uh, yeah, it just was feeling very different the way the ball was coming out of my hand. And I wasn't really in baseball shape, but, I, you know, I could always throw. So. Um, even the, I started having players being like, dude, what are you doing in this job? Like you need to pitch. Like, you, you don't know how bad it was the last five years. Like I tried everything just cause I'm playing a good game of catch does not mean like I need to go try to pitch in the big leagues. And they're like, it was like two or three months of that to where I started being like, this is actually coming out pretty good. So it still took all the way up until January of this year to actually make the decision to do it. And, um, 
I had to I had to get on a mound and prove to myself that it was it was legit, you know. So I did that, and it was, you know, better than I expected. And I just kind of felt like, man, I can't. I don't think I'll be able to go on with my life knowing I threw these two bullpens, sit in mid nineties, throwing the ball wherever I wanted to, and just pretend like it didn't happen. Like, oh, it was fun. A couple bullpens. Yep, I found it again. I'm gonna go work my nine to five. Like, I, at that point, I was like, I I think I have to do this. Not just for me, but I think a, a big part for me was doing it for my kids. Um, I don't think they get it right now. Like I said, they're pretty young. But I think down the road, when they get a little older, just being like, hey, you can do hard things. You can face hard things. Sometimes you might have to walk away from them and come back to them. But, like, you know, I'm not just talking about baseball, but anything in life. Like, you can do hard things and, and, and you know, uh, persevere through it and, Sometimes it works out, and I don't know if this comeback's going to be, you know, ha- a perfectly happy ending. But that's not really the point for me. It's kind of just I get another shot to enjoy the journey and see where it goes. How much does it kind of help with this journey right now and this comeback? The fact that you actually found something that you were happy doing. I mean, if if this last, if you pitch till you're 45, and you know this this becomes this great fairy tale ending, great. If it doesn't. How, how much easier does it make it all just because you left the game, you found something that you were happy with and that you were good at, and there has to be some sort of comfort level there with you in life, right? Yeah, I think what I found is something every retired athlete searches for, and it's like finding your new, your new purpose, your new calling. It may not be the same, may not be the same passion you had when you were playing, but you can actually get pretty close, and you can get a lot of those same reward type feelings that baseball gives you in other other facets of life so once you come to that realization and you're like you know what life's still baseball ended for me but life is still pretty good um i'm able to have time and and energy to do other things and pursue other whether it's hobbies or job or you know uh different projects things like that um life's still pretty good and then in addition for me i think it was finding that i actually was had value outside of my ability to throw a baseball. And that was, you know, and helping other guys with, on the mental side and, and uh, helping them with their career. So like you just, when you're a current player, a lot of guys, including myself, just, you don't realize you're like, this might be all I'm good at in life, you know, just this game. And it's rarely true. I think most guys have lots of untapped potential that they just need to like find the right, right spot for them, for themselves. And, um, for me, that was it was a perfect job at the perfect time, and uh, I'm extremely grateful to the, to the Diamondbacks, to Hazen, to all the all the people there who who kept me on and and uh, let me kind of figure out what I was doing over there. Yeah, it's kind of an, a testament to you being a good teammate and someone that's valued in the organization that you're you're working with people that you were initially you know, you initially were drafted by and came up with with the Red Sox. That's kind of how baseball works. Is the the good guys get to stick around because of how they um, conducted themselves earlier in their career, you know. Hey, Lars, before we move on with the interview, did you know that 75% of all of us are walking around everyday life chronically dehydrated? For people who are made up of 80% water, that's a huge issue, yes. Yeah, it's not a good thing. Leads to headaches, fever, energy slumps, poor focus. It's certainly not going to help Daniel Barr get back to the big leagues. It's time that we all hydrate and hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets. You mix directly into your water to make hydrating 
your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. That's sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc to help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrin is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply, and you can save even more with a monthly subscription. And right now, for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com athletic. That's drinkhydrant.com athletic for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com athletic. I think, you know, getting released is akin to our fear of death. You know, it's our career is dying and it's like we have no idea what's happening afterwards and it's scary as hell. And I remember when it finally happened to me where I finally got released and baseball was no longer a guaranteed thing in my life. It was scary, but it was like, okay, I still have to like figure out where I'm going to eat breakfast. I still have to, you know, drink water. I still have to go to sleep and wake up like I'm still alive. I'm still breathing. I'm still okay in a certain sense. And a lot of that fear of the unknown kind of dissipated when I actually went through the process, that death process of getting released. And there's still challenges, obviously, in figuring out your next passion. And it's it's really hard to um, find something that takes the place of the feeling that you get playing in front of 40,000 people. You know, that's not, you don't just go on, you know, a job website and find a job that gives you that feeling and probably never will you know but there are other things that are satisfying and it's really cool that you found that and i'm i'm in that process too of finding things that kind of fulfill me and it's it's a it's a fun adventure in and of itself it might not scratch all of the itches that we you have when you're playing baseball but there is a lot of of juiciness in life after your baseball career um but getting back to the to the to the diamondbacks it, the irony is you had such a good relationship with them, but you couldn't really sign with them, right? Because that would be a com- conflict of interest. Yeah, so my hope was that they would sign me going into it. Um, I made the decision, like I said, about a week before spring training was supposed to start. So I decided to, you know, and I realized that given my history, it didn't matter how I'm throwing the ball in a bullpen. Um, it was going to be potentially very tough for me to land a job right away. Um you know, and I was like, okay, this might mean quitting my job and then waiting for indie ball season to start and having to go that route, which I was always adamantly against. But I was like, at this point, I know I'm throwing the ball well, so I don't care where I'm pitching. Just let me pitch. I feel like I can earn my way onto a roster. And um, so I approached the D-backs uh, right at the beginning of spring training and said, hey, guys, I know that I realize this is terrible timing uh, and I apologize in advance, but I'm not going to work here anymore in my current role. Um, I want to pitch again. And they were like, Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, and I'd love to do it here because I know you guys, I know the minor league coaching staff. I know the big league coaching staff. Like it would be really cool to do it here in a place where I'm surrounded by people I know and love. And, uh, they kind of huddled together over the next few hours and said, look, we would love for you to be able to do that. It's just uh, there's too much conflict of interest. So I totally understood where they're coming from. Um, I had some pretty deep relationships with a lot of guys in that organization, you know, that run a lot deeper than baseball. Um, and, I, you know, maybe they told me some things that they wouldn't have told a, a teammate. I don't know. 
I mean, but I think that was the concern. So ended up being a huge kind of blessing in disguise um, because I ended up getting multiple offers out of a tryout a few, few days later. So, um, and two of them were, or several of them were within the division, but not, not planned at all. <laughs> That's just what happened. So you um, obviously when you were in Boston, it would, there was some overlap with when Rich Hill was in Boston. Um, do you, I guess, do you know Rich and knowing what he went through and kind of some similarities there with his story, although his was some injuries too. Have you gotten a chance at all to talk to him about his journey back and, and what he's been able to do here later in his career? Rich and I have stayed in touch a little bit. We were, we were good buddies when we played together and uh, I spoke, I haven't spoken to him directly, maybe like through an Instagram message or something um, since I decided to play again. But I did, we spoke, I think it was last spring, Dodgers were playing the Diamondbacks and I got a chance to catch up with them. So uh, same guy, same quirky. I mean, the guy you see on TV is only like half the story, but that super competitive, just do anything it takes to, to get an edge. He's kind of that that's him his way of life but he's one of the best teammates funniest most likable guys i ever played with but uh yeah i mean he just never gave up and i I did not you know when we played together i didn't necessarily see him having the level of success he success he had because i was kind of watching a an injured sidearm version of what you see now and he got healthy and continued to work at it and found that that niche of of throwing you know I don't know what he is, 70% breaking balls? Because he always had that. And, um, man, I could not happen to a better guy. So it, it does give you hope that, like, there is some chance for, you know, success after 35. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we'll see what happens. Baseball is interesting in that sense. And often your your opportunities go away before your talent does. You know, it's, Especially now. It's, yeah yeah like um like you alluded to earlier you 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 have a phd in baseball at this point as do i as does rich hill you've been in the game so long and it takes a while to mentally get there to mentally be able to overcome failure and if if i could have had the same opportunities when i was 29 versus when i was 20 i would have done better because i knew how to handle you know tough times better i was able to stay in the game in a more competitive way better and it's just the the turnover is so quick that sometimes you by the time you figure it out it's already past you and it's it's cool to see guys like you or Rich staying it long enough to be able to apply that knowledge and you still have the physical ability to do it and now you, now your brain is caught up to you and you can compete but staying with like kind of the mind body thing that you alluded to earlier how when you started struggling what what was that relationship like was it was it a, a mental thing first or a physical thing first was it chicken or the egg type yeah of i think it was completely yeah. severed there was no connection <laughs> uh, no i mean I, I look back and i i can't pinpoint one thing that that caused my the beginning of my struggles i think there was i think i did have a physical issue uh i ended up having surgery for a thoracic outlet so and i think i had basically a mild case of that for like two years that I was pitching through and uh, maybe end of 11, 12 and 13. Um, and, Cause the velo dipped five miles an hour command went from being able to hit both sides of the plate to like, just kind of hoping to throw strikes happened really quick too. And I don't, you know, I don't attribute it to like 
I had, you know, I had ups and downs in the years before. I had, you know, blow multiple games uh, in the eighth inning and, and come back and be fine. Like, didn't care. You know, I knew I was good. I knew that you're going to take your punches if you play in the big leagues, you play long enough, and I was okay with that. So I didn't fully attribute it to, like, man, I just hit some struggles in the big leagues, walked a few guys, and I couldn't handle any of it because I think it was – it felt just like it had to be more complicated than that. And uh, the brain's a, a very, very misunderstood thing or not very well understood thing, I think, um, especially in this category of kind of where there's trauma and, you know, you got the yips. No one fully understands it. They kind of know what causes it, but not fully. And definitely nobody has a straight up pill you can take or a cure. So, you know, I think it's a combination of things that caused it for me. And I think it was a combination of things that helped me kind of come out the other side so um that answer your question yeah 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 absolutely um you think back to to you know when you were dominant 2010 you know when you were the setup man in boston the era was under two you threw 75 innings all that stuff when you think back or when you thought not maybe not now because you seem to be in a really good place as far as baseball and everything but when you were kind of going through the tough times what went into your mind when you thought back on the dominant times and like, I'm not sure where I'm going with this, but, but was it something that you could kind of think back on and just, was it frustrating to think like, why can't I do that? I'm the same guy that was doing that a few years ago and now I'm having such trouble. Lars, you can attest to this. Like everybody, you know, especially so when the video got really good and readily available, like around, 2009 or 10 you know I, we had a hard time seeing video in the minor leagues yeah but by the time you know 2010 11 like you, especially in the big leagues you could get as much video as you want have the video guy download it to your ipad so i had all my you know dominant outings i think i had strikeout reels and stuff on an ipad and i can't tell you how many times i watched that from 2013 to whenever i retired in like 17 watched those clips of me dominating um in those early years and the funny thing was I'd watch it and I knew it was me and you know, everything about me is like, that's me. My, if anything, my body's in better shape now because I've gotten really good shape in those, those years where I struggled, but I still couldn't perform that way. And I honestly got to the point where it was like, I'd watch it and I felt like it was a different, I was watching somebody else almost. It was as much as me. It was as much as Lars. If you watched Clayton Kershaw pitch and you were like, that's something I used to do. And you're like, you can't convince yourself because you didn't, it almost feels like you didn't do it. That's where I was at. And um, the really strange thing, I've, watched, I've gone back and watched some highlights and the uh, College World Series game that I pitched in was on TV the other day, replay. Oh, cool. And I watched that, I'm like 21 years old. And I was like, I can do all that stuff right now. Like that, that's no problem. Like my brain shifted back to where it's supposed to be. And man, it's, it's a weird thing to, I don't even know if this is making sense to anybody out there, but um, it's a weird thing to experience and a really even harder thing to explain. But it felt like I was watching somebody else for a long time. It's in, if it, when you're when you're going through a really hard time in baseball, uh, it's really hard to trick yourself. You know, that's kind of my my take from that is you can you can try to convince yourself that you're good or you're you're the same guy but when you're going through it it's 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 hard to trick yourself and 
it's and conversely when you're going like you said i I watched myself when i was 21 and i can do all those things and i believe you and it sounds like you believe you and that's that's the most important thing yeah another thing and large you can maybe agree with uh, attest to this but it's uh you know i something i told diamondbacks guys that i worked with was so they have all this video available the thing that guys want to do is watch and try they watch the good at bats they watch the homers they hit they watch the you know best pitches they threw and they try to literally if they're struggling they try to go out and mimic those mechanics so they try to mimic that exact swing that produced that home run three months ago thinking that that's going to get them back into that 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 state of performance i would be like guys don't watch it to see mechanics like maybe a key here and there like if it's completely different but instead focus on like what was your mindset when you went into that at bat where you hit the walk-off homer what was your mindset when you threw seven shutout innings not what was your body doing exactly and um not to get too technical but i think it's just guys use that stuff and they get super internally focused on exactly what their body positions are and how they're moving. And rarely is that the answer to a slump of any kind slump or yips or whatever you want to call it in my case. Um, so I realized you can watch that stuff, but watch it and like put yourself in, in your body in the, in the video and execute those pitches, close your eyes after you watch it, see it out of your own eyes. That makes it like external. Here's what I was doing. Here's how I made that pitch move. And uh, I found that works a lot better. I got one more question for you, Daniel. And that is just, you mentioned um, your family and your kids and, and the, you know, doing it for them to get them to, to see things. But now you're in a world where, you know, regardless of what happens here, if, if there's a return to baseball, even though there's all these safety protocols in place, there'll be some risk involved. Um, just talk about that mentally and, and how you're approaching that and how you feel about just getting back to it and, and going through these protocols to try to keep everybody as safe as possible. Yeah, man, it's complicated. And I think this is a new situation for everybody. So I'm trying not to judge anyone one way or the other, whether they're, you know, super conservative with the, these protocols or whether they're very lax with them. Um, you know, try to, try to use the facts to make the best decisions. And, and I, I honestly think, you know, I kind of sit on the fence. I go back and forth every day, like open everything up. No, shut it down. Everyone's going to die. And uh, (laughs) I go back and forth like throughout the day. But I really do think like, I think a lot of things can open up to the point where our society gets a little bit back to normal. But I think it's going to require people to just be responsible. And that's protect yourself, respect the space of other people. And I think if we do that in a baseball environment, like we can play a relatively normal game of baseball. There might be a few weird kinks, but uh, I think we can do it. And as far as family goes, you know, the plan is for my family to come with me. Um, I think they're young enough and you know, don't have to be in school. Like, let's just, let's just make it happen. And like I said, be responsible as we can and take precautions where we can and, uh, you know, try to get back to some form of normal life. All right. Well, we hope you get back there. We hope we see you pitching on a big league mound uh, at some point this summer, Daniel. Thanks for taking some time with us. Thanks, guys. That's going to do it for this edition of the Old Town Podcast. Save 40% off a subscription to The Athletic. Go to theathletic.com slash greenmonster. Thanks to Daniel Bard for joining us. Thanks to the Beantown Swing Orchestra for our theme song. For Lars Anderson, I'm Tim McMaster. We'll talk to you again next week.